So the last several times that I've preached, I've been working through uh, the book of Philippians. Um, now we're in uh, toward the end of chapter 2. But just as a review, um, this book was written by Paul while he was in prison to the church at Philippi. And they had a very strong relationship between them. And a big part of that was when Paul first went there, um, he preached the gospel to Lydia and some other ladies, and they came to the Lord. And then he cast a demon out of a, a sorceress who was predicting the future. And that caused Paul and uh, Silas to get thrown in prison. While they're in prison, there was an earthquake. And uh, through that, uh, the jailer and his family were baptized and came to believe. Um, and then sometime after Paul left, uh, the Philippians, those believers, started a church. And then they continued to have a close relationship with Paul, praying for him, uh, supporting him relationally and financially, uh, giving to his needs. Relationally, they sent, as we'll see, they sent Epaphroditus to uh, meet some of his needs. So Paul and the Philippians had a, a very close relationship. Ladies believe, and then they cast out a demon out of this woman that was telling people's futures and... They got sent to prison for that, but in prison there was an earthquake and they, the jailer and his family were all saved and baptized. And then apparently after Paul left, then uh, a ch they started a church from that. And then since that time they'd been praying for Paul, they'd been sending finances to help him even while he was in prison and relational support. We'll see that with the sending of Epaphroditus uh, as well. So they were really connected. Um, and I believe, uh, and Paul was like their founder, but he was also one of their missionaries. And uh, it's exciting to see that kind of relationship they had. Like I think of with Bo and Cindy. They're our church missionaries, and they're not just some couple that, oh, yeah, this is some couple in China. No, they're, they're us. They were sent out from us, and they're representing Crossway there, uh, and we're partnering with them. Um, in the same way as in ministry and prayer and finances, relational support. That's the way God wants ministry to be, as life on life. So we really see that in this book of Philippians. If I was to say just two purposes of the book is one, he wants to thank them for all. Paul's always so filled with thanksgiving, and that's why he's got so much joy in his life. But also he tries to encourage them to be joyful and also to think rightly about the Christian life. And what's interesting that we've been seeing, and I think we'll continue to see today, how does he do that? How does he encourage them and get them to think rightly? Well, part of it is instruction. He instructs them in a number of different issues. But then in chapter 2, when he was talking about not being selfish, but consider the needs of others more important than yourself, he used the example of Jesus, and he points to Jesus as his model, our model to follow. But what's interesting now, in the latter half of chapter 2, after pointing to Jesus, now he points to himself and to Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. And he does that because he, it's for this purpose of encouraging them and teaching them to think rightly about the Christian life. So he doesn't just only point to Jesus, then he points to other believers. And I think this is a really important principle in the Christian life as parents. We always want to be pointing our kids to Jesus. In our own lives, we want to grow and become more like Christ. 
So we, we read the Bible, we look at what Jesus has done, but if you're like me, I know many times a breakthrough I'll have in obedience is when I see another believer live out some principle. Maybe um, I'm trying to become more thankful, and then I run into somebody that's been going through all these trials, someone like Bryant, you know, going through their daughter and then through the cancer, yet every time you see him, he's filled with praise to God, you know? And then we begin to see, oh, so that's how you can be joyful always. You know, that's how you can be joyful in the midst of trials is what Brian's doing. And by seeing another human being with our own eyes in action, God uses that in our life. So I'm so thankful for the many people God's brought in my life that have lived out the life of Christ. And God wants us to be that for others, and he wants us to give thanks for all the people he brings into our lives that do that. And we see this just so amazingly in this book of Philippians, that ministry and the Christian life is all about people. It's all about tight, intertwined relationships. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul's key truths where he was teaching them you need to be unified and then he the second point was you need to be not selfish but others centered and then we talked about how then he gives the example he says your attitude should be the same as that of christ jesus and then he gives this breathtaking example of how jesus humbles himself comes to earth is obedient to god so he points us to to jesus and to his example of how to be others centered and when that happens, then he talks about how Jesus was exalted. And we talked about that principle. In general, God exalts those who humble themselves and are obedient to him. Um, so he uses the example of Jesus in the first part of this chapter. And then the last sermon, we talked from chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, about this idea. One of the points was we're to live out, or the that, that scripture says we're to work out our salvation, knowing that God works in us to will and to act according to his purpose. So we talked about this idea that, you know, it's not saying you need to do works so that you'll be saved. It's saying once you're saved, you live out your faith by doing good works. We're created for good works, and we need to do them. But we do them knowing that God works in us to will and to act according to his purpose. Even our will, our volition, our desires to act, God is involved in that and helping us. So it's not just we do it on our own. No, even serving God is done through him. And I wanted to go back, and if you'll bear with me just a little bit, I wanted to add one more thing as I've been thinking about that message from last time. Um, and it's, I, I began thinking about you know, this duality of we have a responsibility and, we're, and God has a responsibility and we work together. It's not just we, well, some people say, what is it? Let go and let God. You don't need to do anything, just let God do it all, man. <laughs> that sounds great, but how, how's that working for you? And then the other thing is sometimes we think we've got to do it all. And this passage that we talk about teaches that both are important. We're in a partnership with God. We rely upon Him, but God expects us to do something. We're His instruments that He wants to use. And I began thinking about this quote that I have heard so many times. I remember when I was in college, I was involved with the Navigators. I must have heard this 
10 or 20 times. I used to love this quote. I thought it was a really cool quote. Have you heard of this one? Pray as if everything depends upon God. Work as if everything depends upon you. And I just found out this was from St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 16th century. He was the founder of the Jesuits. And I have been taught this so many times. And I think what's good about this is that it's showing both are important. We don't just let go and let God, and we don't just try to do it all on our own strength, that both are needed. But I've realized as I thought more about this quote, boy, this has the potential to be uh, a very unhealthy, uh, lead us to live unhealthy lives. For example, I was thinking if someone came to me and uh, maybe Pastor Paul said, wait, I'd like you to do a men's event. Uh, here's, what, here's what it's going to be. And now as you do that event, I want you to work as if everything and the success of this event depends upon you. A hundred percent of the success of this event will be according to your work. Now, how freeing is that? Man, I'm going to feel like, wow, that's a heavy burden. I've got a lot to do. There's so many things I could do. Okay, I'm going I'm to personally contact every man and, and invite them to this event. And, and pray with them too. And I'm going to send emails and this and this and this. Because, man, it's up to me 100%. I'm, I'm going to work this thing, man. Okay? If, if someone said that to me, I would, I would think, oh, man, this is going to be rough. It all depends on me. That's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Uh, I, that's how we get driven, I think. Um, or if somebody said, uh, and the success of this event is all dependent on your praying to God, your prayers to God. Okay, man, well, I'm, let me pray right now. All right, five minutes later. Okay, Lord, here I am again. Lord, it's up to you in my, these prayers. So, Lord, I would just, I would feel a burden that every moment that I needed to be praying, if all the success was dependent on praying and depending upon God, if 100%, I hope you get what I'm trying to say, I think it, call, it, it, it launches us to the, or it has the potential, this quote, to launch us to the extremes. And I just think uh, a tendency to burn us out one way or the other, one end of the candle or the other. Um, and so I found a, another quote from, that I liked that I thought was a little bit better. All right, and this one is from St. Wadrick of Crossway in the 21st century. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, you know, Bible, Paul says we all are saints. You know, when he writes to the church, he says, to the saints at Corinth. Okay, so we are saints. You can call yourself a saint. That's okay. It's a, a holy person. And we're not holy on our own accord, are we? But through Christ, we've been made holy. So call yourself a saint every once in a while. It kind of feels good. Um, all right, well, this is what I came up with. Maybe it's a little better, but I said, pray faithfully depending upon God. Work doing all that God shows you to do. And that just seems to resonate with me. That's more how our Heavenly Father wants us to operate. It's We're faithfully praying to Him, but we're, our work is, what are we doing? Well, we're doing the things God's leading us to do. Because there's so many things we could do. And sometimes when we get this idea that if, if 
uh, when I played football my freshman year in college, our theme that year, our coach was this all-American football player, Ken Hatfield from Arkansas. And our theme was, if it is to be, it's up to me. He was an old Arkansas boy. Uh, great coach, but that was it, you know. It's up to us. It's up to our work. And man, did they work us hard. Uh, we had this one uh, in the summer training. They'd come down uh, and they'd just put us through drills to work on conditioning. And they'd put two big giant garbage cans at each end of the field. And the entire time, people would go over there and be throwing up, you know, because they were working so hard. It, it was one of the worst times of my life. Because uh, I'd wake up in the morning, and the first thing I'd think about is, oh, man, 3.45, we got training today. We're going to go down there, and we're all going to puke up our guts. And eventually, the seniors on the team had to go to the coach and said, Coach, morale is so low. You know, everybody is hating to come down here. It's the low point of the day. And so eventually, they changed it. But, but this idea, if it's all up to us, that is such a burden. But if instead we're listening to God, and partnering with him. We're dependent upon him, but we have a part to play, and that part is what God's telling us to do. And he's a good heavenly father. He's not going to give us this laundry list that's so long that there's no way we can get it all done, because he's a good father. And so I, I, I don't know that that's that great of a quote, but I think it more captures what the scriptures are trying to say. And the other one has a lot of I, uh, good to it, but uh, I think it can lead us, some people uh, can lead us astray. But I think more and more, that's what I've been trying to do with my life. Is, yeah, I want to be faithful and praying and depending upon God. And I know he's got a part for me. And as I listen to him, he'll show me what I need to do. And what he wants me to do is doable. Because he's a good, loving, heavenly father. So that was one of the key truths that we saw in, in that passage. And then the second thing we talked about was Paul encouraged them not to complain or argue, but by holding forth or holding out the word of God, they would become shining lights to the lost world. And those would, they'd really then be living lives of real significance. He said, my li- if you live like that, my work with you will not have been in vain. It'll be significant what you're doing. That this idea, wow, we are real lights to the world when we don't argue and complain and we hold forth, some, uh, some translators feel that's just meaning obeying God's word, and others mean it's kind of sharing God's worth. It's more than likely a combination of both those meanings. But as we do that, that sets us so far apart from the world that we don't complain, we don't argue. Um, so Paul encourages them to do that. And then we talked about this idea. Sometimes we talk about, well, I'm just processing my feelings, or I'm just venting. It's not really complaining. But the way we figure that out is by looking at our heart. What's our heart issue whenever we're venting or processing? Uh, and that God wants us to live lives where we shine like stars in the universe. So that's what's happened, we've talked about so far in chapter 2. And now we get to this really interesting section where the focus moves m- more from Jesus Christ and the spotlight more is on these servants of Christ. So let's go through this passage. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they, all the other people, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. (coughs) I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger in ministry to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because, because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Okay, so I just want to walk through here. And as we do, uh, we're going to see that Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus exemplify six characteristics of maturity of Christian maturity that, that we all should look for in our lives. There's many different uh, characteristics of maturity that we'd see in the Bible, but I think it's very interesting to look at this passage from that standpoint, to see that they all have these qualities of a mature Christian that we should desire to develop in our own lives. So let's walk through, and we'll just talk through some points, and then I'll kind of pull all those points in a list together at the end. Okay, so he starts by saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may may be cheered by news of you. So he wants to send Timothy back to the Philippians to give him a report of what's going on about how Epaphroditus is doing fine and how Paul's doing fine and he's waiting to hear what's, what's going on. And then he wants Timothy to go and then he'll get news back from from Timothy, okay, and he'll be cheered by it. So it's interesting where Paul, and we see this all throughout this letter, all throughout Paul's life, much of Paul's joy comes from people, from the people he's working with. He hurts when they're hurting, and when they're doing well, he rejoices. And I think that's the the sign of a mature Christian, that our lives are deeply intertwined in the lives of others. And as we continue through this passage, we'll see all three of these men. Their lives, they're not, we talk about Jesus, that he left heaven and came to earth and got, to, got his hands dirty, got totally involved in our world, in our lives. That he didn't stay aloof. And now in this passage, we see this illustrated through these three men's lives. They, they don't stand aloof, but their lives are intertwined with the lives of others. And in our church, that's what God wants. And so I ask you, you know, in your men's group, your women's group, in your home group, are you, is your life being intertwined with others' lives? Are you really entering into the hurts of other people, into the joys of other people? Or are you not really intertwined? Are you aloof? And I was thinking this morning about it. You know, if, if you're just one fiber, this, this is just a plastic fiber, so it's not intertwined at all. 
And actually, it's not that strong. I think, yeah, you can easily break it. You know, just one fiber. But then I was looking around the house and I found this one. And this is nylon. It's not particularly strong. But if you look at the fibers, it's got three major cords here that are all intertwined. You know, the Bible says a cord of three strands not easily broken. So maybe one of those wouldn't take too much to break it, but they're really pretty strong when they're intertwined together. Three strands together. And then I found this piece that has about six or ten different threads. And it's very small, but it's super strong for its weight because the fibers are all intertwined. As you think about your life, think about your, your ministry, your involvement in home groups and the way you connect with people. What kind of intertwining would you say would be represented? Are you just kind of a lone strand that's not really, I'm not, I don't really get involved in the lives of others, I'm kind of aloof, that's not my style, or... Are you deeply intertwined like one of these? And when those in your life group or in your home group or men's group, women's group are hurting, yeah, you really hurt with them. And when they're rejoicing, you really rejoice with them. Because that's what Paul says is a sign of a mature Christian, that their lives are really intertwined with, with others. Then he goes on in the next verse says, for I have no one like T- Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For the others, you know, they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. So we see this Timothy is, is really someone special. Uh, I've mentioned before, this is the verb, because of these verses is why we named Teo. His name is Timoteo, Spanish for Timothy. That Our prayer was that he would be a man would genuinely be concerned about the interests of Christ. He wouldn't just be concerned about his own interests, but he'd be focused on others. And that's the sign, another sign of a mature Christian, to have a care, not for his own needs, but Jesus' interests. So Paul knew that when he sent Timothy that he would be concerned about how the, the Philippians were doing in Christ, and how they were doing spiritually and in all the aspects of their life. He goes on then, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. Okay, and we touched on this uh, on Father's Day, this idea. In this passage, uh, the father-son relationship is kind of lifted up as the ideal. And Paul is saying, man, you know Timothy's worth. He served like a father-son with me in the gospel. And implying, you know, Jesus only did what he saw the father doing, said, she said, the Father and I are one. Okay, so it's this idea of them uh, working together in unity for the sake of the gospel. And so we, we see this idea that um, Paul n- knew this about Timothy uh, because in the past he'd so faithfully and harmoniously worked with Timothy to serve God and others in spreading the gospels. And Timothy's life showed that the verse before it was true. His life showed that he was concerned about others and in particular about Jesus. 
His life wasn't about himself. That was another sign that he was a mature Christian. Then Paul says, I hope therefore to send him, Timothy, just as soon as I see how it would go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So it seems Paul, you know, he's getting ready for his trial or maybe parts of it have happened and he's waiting for the verdict. We're, We're not sure exactly the details, but he's waiting. And so he wants to send Timothy ahead. He doesn't want to wait uh, any longer um, because he, his, Paul's focus is on encouraging the Philippians. Um, but this phrase in 24, he says, And I trust in the Lord that, I, that shortly I myself will come also. So he's hoping that he'll hear that he's been found not guilty and he'll be released and he can go back. But I think it's really interesting here that the word he says is, I trust. Some translations say, I hope in the Lord that shortly I can come also. So he doesn't say, and I know that in just a little while I'll be coming. There's this unknown. And it's interesting because that unknown is, maybe I'll be found guilty and executed. Or maybe I'll be found not guilty, and I'll be able to return to you. So Paul is very real here. Um, he's not a Pollyanna, everything's going to work out fine, I'm sh- I'll be released and I'll be back with you in no time. No, he, he doesn't know what's going to happen. We see times in Paul's life where he is so sure of what God's going to do. He knew that he had to go to Jerusalem and that the difficulties were waiting him, but he was... I'm, I'm going to go. That's what God's told me to do. Here, he's very real and says, I'm, I'm trusting I'll be able to see you, but I, I don't know. I think that is another sign of a mature Christian, that we're real, we're vulnerable. We, we tell it the way it really is. I know uh, Kate and Abe are working with the youth about going through the Psalms, and that idea in the Psalms, the psalmist just, Tell it to God like it is. God, where are you? Why are you? Why have you? Why have you? Why are you not hearing my prayers? Why have you deserted me? You know, if they're feeling like God's not near, they just say it. And the Psalms never—they're never judged for saying that. God knows their heart already. He knows our hearts. And so, I think a sign of a, a mature Christian is to to share it the way it really is. Um, and that's what we see Paul doing. Then Paul moves from talking about Timothy to Epaphroditus. He said, I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger in ministry to my need. So the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus as a messenger to, to tell Paul the report of how things were going so that Paul would be encouraged and would understand what's happening and to minister to his need. His need was financially uh, but also relationally, he need somebody there with him. Many think that at the time, I think I've mentioned this in China, if you go to jail, your family members need to come and provide your meals every day. Uh, it could have been the same with Paul. Either he needed the money for his meals, had to be brought to him, or somebody actually was providing his meals. But then also the, he needed the ministry of the relationship. He had Timothy, but I'm sure Epaphroditus, sent from the Philippians, was a big encouragement to him. 
But notice here, I think this is very significant as well, especially as we think of our own, our own lives. Lord, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be more and more Christ-like. But notice here how Paul sees his roles in life. First he says, okay, and, and Epaphroditus' role as well. All right, he sees him as his brother, okay? So we have the same heavenly father. We're brothers. Epaphroditus and I are brothers. He's in my family. I care for him like my own brother. He's a fellow Christian. And that's challenging to think, or we could put in their sister too. You know, when you see another person in the church, man or woman, do you see them? Are they your brother, your sister? Are they part of your family? Do you have that view? Do you see other people as being in your family with your same Heavenly Father? What's even more challenging, what about people outside your church? Maybe you have a, um, like a really charismatic friend, but, but um, they're a friend and you're like, yeah, they, they do church and they think about a lot of things way different than I do, but oh man, they love the Lord and I know we're both going to heaven. Okay? Um, you might have other friends that you say, well, I, uh, they're, they're, they express their faith a lot differently. I know they're, they really love the Lord, though. Do you see them as a brother, as a sister? If you know, you know somebody and you know they're going to heaven, do you correspondingly see them as a brother or a sister in your family? Sometimes we have these blinders where we basically just, oh, I only see crossway people. That's my family. That's my brothers and sisters. And I don't know about the rest of people. And I don't think that's the way um, God wants us to think. He wants us to realize that everyone around the world that has faith in Christ and that is going to heaven, they're part of our family and they are our brothers and sisters. And we need to be concerned about them. That's a sign of maturity. Then he also sees them as a worker. So he sees himself as a worker. Well, what's, what's his work? Well, his work's to build the kingdom of God, to glorify God, to enjoy God. And he sees that's part of what Epaphroditus is doing as well. What about you? Do you see yourself as a worker? A la- as this, in Greek, it's the term laborer. Are you a laborer for God? Are you busy at work building his kingdom? Are you building his kingdom or are you just along for the ride? Or are you just on this journey seeing where it'll go? Okay, God wants us to see that we have these many hats. And one of them is as a laborer, laboring to build his kingdom. And then soldier. We've talked about this. I'm more and more, just this week, Helen and I were talking about you know, this last 20 years. We were thinking about some people 20 years ago that we knew at church. And now they've gotten married and had kids and they go to church occasionally, but they, they've lost their first love of Christ. I don't know if they're really believing anymore. Other things in their life look like they've become more important. We were thinking of different people that we knew that have had setbacks, people we knew on the field went through difficult times, uh, and how some of them... Um, Though went through great difficulties, they, they persevered through and their faith is stronger than ever. And others who seem to kind of drift away. Um, 
that it is a battle, and the battle's for our faith. And some people in this battle get wounded, and those wounds make them say, I don't, I don't think God's really looking out for me. And they walk away. And we were talking about, wow, as we look at our life, yeah, this, I, there have been a lot more battles and struggles, and I look at other people's lives, man, this, this Christian life is a battle. There's, there's victories, but there's setbacks as well. And more and more, we see the importance of seeing life as a battle, um, and that we're all battling. And so we're in our home group. We're there encouraging one another, strengthening one another for this battle uh, to, to meet the challenges that are ahead. I think that's a real sign of Christian maturity. How about for you? Do you often think of your life or what's going on in your life as a battle that you need to soldier up, put on your armor, fight for your faith, fight for the faith of others? Or are you just all along for the ride? And God wants us more and more to take up our armor to be soldiers in his army. And then lastly, he talks about him, Epaphroditus was a minister and a messenger. So he came and, and ministered or helped him with his need. Um, and Paul often referred to himself as a servant of Christ. Do, is, do we see that as part of our identity? Our identity is as a soldier, it's as a worker, it's as a servant to others. Uh, if you do, then that's a great sign of, that you're maturing in your faith. Then next, he talked about Epaphroditus had been longing um, for the Philippians because he, he'd been distressed that they heard he was sick. Okay? So again, he, we see this relationship. His life and the Philippians' life was very intertwined. And so when they heard that he was sick, oh, it, it grieved him that they heard that. Okay? So he longed for them. Man, there was a tight-knit relationship there okay and Paul goes on to say indeed he was ill near to death but God had mercy on him not only on him but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow okay think about that when I first read that you know here's Paul what is he saying he experienced said Paul saying man yeah I had real sorrow when Epaphroditus, who was sent from the Philippians to meet my need, he came and got sick. So sick he almost died. Oh, what sorrow I had. That this person they sent for to help me, now he's almost going to die. One, we see this interconnectedness again, but also we talked about that point of Paul's being real. He's saying, wow, there was real sorrow and thank the Lord he didn't die. Because that would have just been sorrow upon sorrow. First when I, th I read that, I thought, wow, that's, that's being real. You know, Paul places as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, that's one side. But here, he's being, he's being real there, but he's being real here too. And saying... Man, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have felt 
sorrow upon sorrow. Ooh, that was a difficult time. Very real. And that's the sign of a mature Christian. To have that sorrow, but then also have the victories that they're real about, all of them. And then he said, I am all the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. What was Paul anxious about? He was anxious that they were so worried about Epaphroditus that they'd sent. That man, he almost died. And that made Paul worried and anxious, so he wants to send them back so they can rejoice. Epaphroditus, you're okay. Look at you. Oh, how great to have you back. You're alive. You're well. You look good. Okay. So again, this interconnectedness and this rejoicing and joy that comes from those relationships. And Paul wanted to rejoice when he knew that they were rejoicing. His life was so interconnected to them. What about in your home group? When someone else is grieving, are you grieving? And when they have a great breakthrough and are rejoicing, do you rejoice with them? If you are, praise God. Thank God. You can say, Lord, I see you are maturing me. The work your Holy Spirit's been doing. Thank you, Lord. Please continue it. If you're not, pray and ask God, God, would you change me? Help me to be more like what Paul's talking about here. And he says, So receive him in Lord with all joy and honor such men or such women for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this last thing we see, to honor those that are serving others. Okay, Epaphroditus went there to serve the Philippian church. He went there to serve Paul, and he encountered difficulties. And Paul says, this is the kind of person we should honor. What about you? Do you find yourself honoring others that serve for the sake of Christ, that are serving Christ. So say, Julie's back with the kids today, helping out with the kids. Do you find yourself saying, oh, that's awesome. She's just serving because she loves Christ and loves those kids. When you see people serving in many different ways at Crossway, inside and outside the church, when you see that, when you see people serving, do you want to honor them? Does it buoy your spirit and say, wow, that's awesome, the way that person is serving God. If it does, praise God. God's maturing you, making you more and more like Christ. So if I was to um, combine these all, I, I found six basic principles. You could see as we talked that several were, were mentioned several times. But mature Christians, as we see in this passage, genuinely care about other believers and their lives and their their joy and their lives are tightly intertwined with them. Okay, They're intertwined. They care for people because they're passionate about the interests of Christ. They're passionate about seeing God's kingdom built. And so they care for people. They're active in spreading the gospel, just as Paul praised Timothy. He was active with me like a son and a father for the sake of the gospel. They cling to God and yet speak honestly about the uncertainties and difficulties of life. Paul talked about, I, don't, I hope that I'll be able to go and be with you. And then he talks about, oh, thank God he spared me from sorrow upon 
sorrow. They spoke honestly about the realities of life. They see their roles in life as brother-sister, as a worker, a soldier, a servant of Christ. And they honor others who sacrifice for Christ, others that are selfishly serving Christ. If you have your bulletin, would you get it out now? In there, I have these six principles, and with it, I have a little rating. Um, I'd like you to just take the next 30 seconds, next minute, and just go ahead and rate yourself. This is just for your eyes only. I'm not going to collect these or look at any of them. I'm not going to have you come up here and <laughs> report your worst one. Um, but just for your sake, go through that list real quick and mark out, am I doing poorly there or am I doing great? Just your own. I mean, it's very subjective, but go through these and say, yeah, how am I doing? So just take a minute to do that. Well, I'd encourage you to uh, after, sometime this week look at this again, maybe go through the passage again, um, and to pray about this and make Take some action. If there's some area you see, wow, I really want to do better in that. But as you think about taking action, one would be in line with the book of Philippians to look at the life of Christ and ask God to put that characteristic in your life. But also look for someone else that you know has that and you see it and watch them. Maybe ask them, brother, how is it that you... Are, you have such a passion for, for reaching out in evangelism. Seeing others say, I don't, I don't have that and I want that. I know God wants me to have that. Tell me how you do that. Can I come along with you? Or, or what, you know, be a learner, but observe it, see it. Just like Paul. He points out Christ and then he says, then look at my life, look at Timothy's, look at Epaphroditus. And very quickly, I want to just talk through um, each of these six with examples in my own life of people that have helped me. And, uh, well, I need work on lots of these. And I'm asking God to remind me and to grow me in these areas, but to remind me of some of these people I've seen that had this and emulate them. So one, I always think of the Apostle Paul here about caring for other believers. In 2 Corinthians 11, after talking about all these sufferings in Christ that he's had, Paul says, and besides these outward trials, there is the daily burden of oversight that grows out of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who stumbles and I am not upset? Okay, those words describe a very involved, intertwined man. So he's saying, if I find a church is stumbling, oh, I stumble, it hurts. Okay, if I find that they're weak, oh, it weakens me. What happens to them happens to me. I am so interconnected to them. We see that about Paul. He talks about how uh, in Thessalonians, you know, we were, we were like a father to you. We, didn't, we loved you so much, we didn't just share the gospel. We shared our very life. I was like a father to you, encouraging you, comforting, and exhorting you to live a life worthy of God. Okay? He was involved and intertwined. Okay, so when others were hurting, he was hurting. Now this, I found real, I read this a few years ago, and this really shocked me. This is by, from a book, How to Help People Change by Jay Adams. And he says, basically, some people will object and say, well, but my personality is different. I, I'm not the sort of person who gets very deeply involved with others. And he says, well, that may be true, 
But your personality isn't set in concrete. It can be changed. Look how Christ changed Peter's personality. Yours can change too. Indeed, unless it does, you will continue to be ineffective in the ministry of helping others. You'll have to learn to let your emotions go and probably through the earnest prayers for each of those you're involved with, how to carry others' burdens the way Paul did. And this really struck me because I, I, I saw aspects in my life I where I was saying, that's not really my personality. It's just, it's sometimes I, I don't get as involved. You know, I stay back and I think that's just my personality. And Jay Adams' words spoke to my heart. And there may be some of you that say the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intertwined with others, but that's eh, just not my personality to really get deeply involved in somebody else's life. And Jay Adams rightly says, unless your life changes in that regard, you'll continue to be ineffective in ministering to others, in helping others. Whether you think it's your personality or not, Bible says this is what it means to be like Christ, to really get involved in people's lives. So if you find that in your life, look to the Apostle Paul, look to others. There's people here that really get into each other's lives out of love and to help one another. I encourage you to do the same. They care for people because they're passionate about the interests of Christ. This is a picture in the middle. There's crisscrossing, and then the, the third person is uh, a woman named Olga, who is just on Friday. I helped them pack her car. She went to LAX. She's been going back to Kabul, Afghanistan, and has served there for more than 30 years now in Pakistan and Afghanistan among uh, the Hazara people group there. And uh, Olga's just, uh, we've known her for years. She was part of uh, the church on Brady in East L.A. Um, just a simple woman with a deep love for the Lord. And uh, so when I think about someone passionate for the interests of Jesus, she's, she's, uh, she's not a great speaker. She's just a faithful servant. And the Lord's used her powerfully in her life because she's had this burden for the, the women, the Hazara women, you know, that they don't get much education. They, they live hard lives. And she has gone to bring the gospel to them because she knows Jesus cares about them. He cares about their lives and wants them to, to know some joy, some true life. So uh, Helen and I have been inspired by people like Olga that they're passionate about the interests of Jesus, not about their own life, what they could be doing, but what does Jesus what are his interests and how can I serve them? Okay, then active in, in sharing the gospel. I think of a big help in my life was I uh, spent a few weeks in 1986. I was in the Air Force still and our family had a reunion. My brother was uh, working in Egypt as a church planter there among Muslims. And I remember we'd take a taxi and before we get in the taxi, he'd say, well, I won't be able to talk to you much. I always get involved in a discussion with the taxi driver. He said, I've made a commitment that I'm going to share the gospel with every taxi I get in. And that was his mode of transportation. He'd use it several times every day. And what was cool was later, our family kind of made that commitment in China. We were using taxis all the time. We said, okay, 
let's try every time we get in the taxi to share the gospel with the taxi driver, get in a conversation. And it was because of this example of my brother. And he would get in the taxi in Cairo, and he'd, he'd ask the driver, he said, do you know all the roads in Cairo? And amazingly, he said, 95% of the time, they'd say, yes, every one of them, I know. And he said, he'd then say, well, do you know the road to heaven? It sounds kind of corny or whatever, but uh, Muslims, especially there in, in Egypt, love to talk about God. And they would say, well, that's a good question. Well, I believe the road, and they'd get off on a conversation, and he'd have an opportunity to share the, share the gospel. So we, we were inspired by, by his life. Uh, I think of Chuang, and you know, a lot of people know he'll go to the mall and share. Um, but we were just talking the other day about our parenting seminar, and wow, I wonder if there's some way to outreach him. He said, yeah, I've been thinking about our friends and our neighbors and I think something like that, maybe we could, let me talk to my wife and see if we might be able to organize something. I think they'd really be helped by that and give them a good exposure to the, to the, to the Bible and to Christians. You know? But what I was really struck by is he said, yeah, I've been thinking about my neighbors and people, relatives that don't know the Lord. You know? What about you? Would you say that of your life? Have you been thinking about your friends and family, neighbors that don't know the Lord? If you have been that's a great sign that God is really maturing your faith. If not, pray that God would teach you through people like Chuang and that you find others that would inspire you as you're inspired by the life of Christ. And then clinging uh, and speaking honestly about the uncertainties and difficulties of life. Um, I know a person uh, years ago when I worked at the U.S. Center for World Mission, there was a man named J. Christie Wilson. He had been a professor at Gordon-Conwell He'd actually helped to start the Urbana movement. A really, really amazing guy. And um, I, I used to go to lunch and try to sit next to him because I, I, I was 30-something. I was 29 at the time, but I really thought if I could just sit near him that some of that would rub off on me. He was just such a godly man. But he told many stories about Afghanistan, all the troubles. They started an international church there. For 22 years, he pastored it, and God did some amazing things. In the end, the government had heard there was an underground church, and so they bulldozed their church to look underground for the church and didn't find anything. Uh, and that was, came to the end of, of their church and the beginning of a lot of troubles in Afghanistan. But as he tells story after story about difficulties and triumphs, even when he talked about the difficulties, he had this wonderful laugh. And it was a laugh that he would go on to say, well, and you know, this is what God ended up doing. Oh, boy, it looked horrible at the time. They bulldozed our church. But God used that to spread out the believers all throughout Afghanistan. One story after another, he'd have that laugh. He'd tell a really sad story. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, that person died? And he would laugh. And you're like, why is he laughing? Because then he'd go on to say, and you know what God did from that? And that inspired me that I would learn to see and trust in the sovereignty of God like he did. And then this seeing God, uh, others as our brother, sister, see ourselves as workers, as soldiers. I just think in particular there's a colleague we had um, when we served in East Asia. His name was uh, Steve Smith. And uh, yeah, he's... Uh, Lord used him powerfully among one of the minority groups to see a number of churches started. Um, and then just in the last year, 
They were, he came down with some rare type of cancer. Um, and even his life right now, it's kind of, we wait for the next email to find out, is he still alive? Um, it's pretty serious. Um, not very many people have been healed from it. But ever since he's heard it, for the last year he's been involved in this movement called 2414, which comes from, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So it's about helping churches to get involved in finding and engaging the last remaining groups that don't know about Christ. And he's become one of the leaders of this, and his emails are just unbelievable. He's just a, such a soldier. He's just like, well... He said, pray for us that God would heal us, and if, he, or, and if it's not to heal us, then to do something better. And by that he means take him to be with the Lord, that that will be even better. But they're hoping he'll be healed. Um, but he's telling between every email, yeah, I had this stent put in, and this three surgeries last weekend, and then on Thursday we were down at our 2414 meeting, and we had a mobilization rally at this church, and guy's barely able to stand up and walk. He's, he's very pale. Uh, and he's trying to be careful. He, uh, you know, his wife's there. She's always making sure he doesn't overdo it. Um, but he just says, God's called me to give me purpose to, to be a soldier in his army, to build his kingdom. And I just want to be faithful to that to the very end. And uh, just what a beautiful example. Has his, had part of his liver removed. Three days later, he's down at this meeting telling people about the need to reach these people that have never heard. Um, he's a soldier that has his marching orders, and he's about it. What about us? Are we good soldiers of the Lord? Then last, honoring those who sacrifice and serve others. So we, we've talked about that. So these six qualities we see in, in this passage, that there are all marks of maturity. There are many others, but what's so beautiful is Paul doesn't just instruct us here. He points us to Jesus, and then he also points us to other Christians who can really help us. As we see these lived out in their lives, it inspires us, and it shows us, oh, so that's how you do it. Isn't that beautiful how God does that? He gives us an example. Examples are so important. But not just the example of Jesus, which is so inspirational and powerful, but then also something closer to us, to our real lives, to see how to do it. My prayer is that we'll be that for others as well, that we'll continue to look to Christ and to others to mature us in these ways and inspire us, but that also God, as he matures us, will use us to be that example for others. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, our prayer is that you would make us like Jesus. Make us like Paul. Make us like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Mature with our lives interconnected to others. That we don't stand aloof, but that we fully enter in and rejoice with those rejoicing because we've participated, we've been rooting for them. And when the others have setbacks, that we feel that setback because we're in it with them together. Our lives intertwined together. And Lord, we just thank you for how you so powerfully live that out. And Lord, I thank you for how that is already happening in so many ways and with so many people at Crossway. I just ask that you would multiply it and 
continue that that would just continue all the more to greater and greater lengths. Because, Lord, I know you're pleased by it. That's how you want us to live our lives, intertwined deeply with others. For the sake of your glory, we pray. Amen.